Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Yes, a very good afternoon, everyone. It is the all-new Sports Day with Peter Vlahos, commencing on Melbourne Cup Day, November the 1st. Great to have you along. And Sports Day will bring you very much what you like during Drive with Peter Vlahos, but also some new segments as well. And we kick it off tonight a bit later on, where we will have the Sports Vault every Tuesday. And we'll go back and have a look at a significant moment in the annals of West Australian sport. And tonight, we'll go back to the birth of the West Coast Eagles. And certainly, from a coaching perspective, it was pretty turbulent in the first three to four years. Ron Alexander went in in 1987, was sacked after the first year. John Todd went in for the following two years, was sacked to make way for Michael Malthouse. I'll speak to John Todd about what it was like taking over from a fellow and proud West Australian, Ron Alexander, who many thought was hard done by, and how he found out that Mick Malthouse was going to take his job in 1990. We go inside the sports vault tonight and we look at those turbulent coaching period of the West Coast Eagles with John Todd a little bit later on. But today, it was Melbourne Cup Day. And we're, of course, situated in the Optus Stadium precinct. And let me tell you, just a couple hundred metres away, the Camfield is still going off. There are hundreds and even maybe thousands of people around the Camfield precinct. And I'm wondering how many of those people there and how many people uh, around listening on the SEN program on Sports Day would have tipped Gold Trip. Defied the odds to win the Big Cup, leaving plenty of punters very much red-faced. The six-year-old horse did it the hard way, taking the lead with more than 300 metres to run. Let's have a listen to the call of the 2022 Melbourne Cup. Gates are back and they're racing. They're off in the cup and Knight's order towards the outside. The best to jump with Vow and Declare. Due a smoke and Romans isn't too far away. And also Kamora showing speed without a fight. The international in the yellow jacket is also up there with the leaders across the track in the first two or three hundred metres. Poking up his grand promenade from barrier number one also. Interpretation drives up to lead with smoke and Romans. Vow and Declare and grand promenade. Kamora without a fight out even deeper. And Knight's orders about seven wide 
wide at this stage with Serpentine out there with him. They were followed by Vow and Declare and back in the field Stockman and Dewis and Emissary from Hu Yamal. Then came Young Verta who's a little keen three wide. Next in the field Realm of Flowers and then came Gold Trip Higher Motion. Then Deshaun Sweet Jr. Second last off the rails is Montefilia and at the end of the field settling down into stride is Arapaho as they leave the straight with 2,200 metres to run and the favourite Deauville legend midfield. So Smoke and Roman Serpentine leave the running with Serpentine going to the lead. Interpretation third. They were followed by Kimura. Tralee Rose is off around them now. Three wide to improve her position. A length Grand Promenade without a fight. Numerian, a length Deauville legend. Then came Knight's Order who couldn't quite get in three wide. A length away Vow and Declare Emissary. Next is Jewish Stockman and then Hu Yamal. Realm of Flowers is one off the fence. Around that runner is Young Verta. Then came Gold Trip to Shan Sweet Junior, Higher Motion, Montefilia. And at the end of the field in the Lexus Melbourne Cup is Arapaho. 1,600 metres to run, and the leader is Serpentine. By a length and a half, Tralee Rose. Two further back in the field is Smoke and Romans getting a gun run on the outside of Interpretation. Three lengths, Kimura, a length Grand Promenade. And then came without a fight, a length Doville Legend tucked away on the fence. Knight's Order continues his run three wide. A length away, Numerian midfield Dewis, and then came Emissary Vow and Declare. Further back, Young Verta, then Huya Malin Stockman. Next in the field, Gold Trip two thirds down to Shan Sweet Jr. Well back on the fence. Montefilia is getting moving. Then came Higher Motion, Realm of Flowers, and Arapaho is last. Serpentine, a thousand metres to go. Just led from Tralee Rose. Knight's Order is going to try and set the cup alight and moves up three and four wide and goes to the front early. Smoke and Romans going with him. So as they reach the 800 metres and Knight's Order has taken off, two legs in front of Smoke and Romans. Daring tactics without a fight. Slid up to third. Dovil Legend got to fourth. They were followed by Dewis. Tralee Rose in reverse. Then came Realm of Flowers to the outside. Next Young Verda, Gold Trip. But Knight's Order is going to try and break their hearts in the Lexus Melbourne Cup at the 450. Led by two legs Smoke and Romans. Here's Dovil Legend presenting and Gold Trip down the outside. Emissary is behind those. Gold Trip moves up, takes the lead from Dovil Legend. 250 metres to go. Emissary running on. Gold Trip, 150 metres to go, wandering about, getting tired. Emissary is trying very, very hard, but Gold Trip is brave. 100 to go, a length and a half Emissary. Gold Trip is going to win the Lexus Melbourne Cup. Gold Trip wins it in a real state contest for the ages. Yes, uh, fantastic performance. Uh, the connections of Gold Trip, by the way, are celebrating a payday of more than $4 million. Not a bad day's work, is it? Let's have a listen. Uh, Britt Taylor was on the horse, and uh, she spoke to Mark uh, Zara, the winning jockey, after taking Gold Trip first past the post. Mark Zara, congratulations to you. Try put this feeling into words. Oh, I can't. I just feel like crying. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. What a day. <laughs> That's the word that so many jockeys who have won this great race use. Unbelievable. <laughs> what went through your body as you crossed that finish line? I bet that oh. last hundred felt like yeah. it went an eternity. It did. You know, I got to the front a bit, a bit soon, but I, he's a horse that when you go for him, I really want to go for him. You know, don't give him a chance to think about it. And, uh, yeah, that last hundred, I was thinking... Just piss off him. No one come near me, you know. And uh, oh, it's just elation, absolute elation when he crossed the line. How long have you dreamt of winning a race like this, the Melbourne oh. Cup? <laughs> I 
I've never really thought about it, you know, to be honest, but um, yeah, no, I've dreamed of it anymore, I guess. <laughs> this is reality now. Did you watch this race growing up as a kid? Yeah, absolutely. Mum used to give us uh, the day off so I could watch it, so uh, yeah, it's just surreal, absolutely surreal. <laughs> Do you have to pinch yourself to think there's kids at home who've had the day off and they're watching you right now? Yeah. This is your chapter. <laughs> absolutely. My little one's at home, my wife is here, and uh, all the folks back at uh, WA just... Uh, <laughs> Oh, what an amazing feeling. <laughs> you have no idea how, what WA will be going off for you right now. Congratulations. You are a Melbourne Cup winner. Cheers. Thanks, Brittany. Well done. Yeah, well done, Britt, and well done, Mark. Uh, Norman Kalgoorlie has got on the certainly temper of bedshed text line early saying uh, on 0487 736 um, Pete, I reckon there's a lot of happy WA Goldfields punters happy that they have uh, would have got behind a horse with the name of Gold Trip, of course, in the Golden Mile up there in Kalgoorlie, the Goldfields, who certainly, uh, and I reckon they would have been packing out all the uh, watering holes in the Goldfields today. Well, it was certainly a special moment for the jockey. It was a special moment also for the owners, but also for the trainers. And Kieran Ma and David Eustace trained the horse, Showed its class by finding one final effort at the finish line to win by one and a half lengths, and they were delirious. Dave Eustace and Kieran Mara are just coming through a sea of hugs to join us. Kieran, I'll get you to come over and join us as well. Gentlemen, we get to speak so often on racetracks right around Victoria, and we laud your team of stayers together, but I want to talk about you two as individuals first and a partnership. Can you believe what you and your team have just achieved? Nah, no, nah, not really. Um, no, nah, I don't think it's really stuck in yet, but uh, it's phenomenal, you know. Um, so um, everyone's had a lot to do with this horse. Uh, John Bunting, uh, he's a great mate of mine, and uh, he's had this horse in very good order all the way along. Um, Great mate, great bloke, and very good at what he does. So fortunate. And um, Dave, my brother, oh, everyone, you know, it's just, it's just huge. Um, you know, Dave and I are lucky enough to stand up here, and, and um, but you know, God, there's uh, most of our staff are here today, and friends and family. It's just fantastic. Dave, racing brings people together like a few other things son of a trainer and we were talking earlier today that you're in a share house in Newmarket with two other trainers in this race today and James Ferguson and Ed Crisford eight years ago here you are on racing's biggest stage with a guy who's coming for dairy farm outside Warrnambool it's pretty crazy yeah it is like um for me it's just a great great honor really just to be working with these horses and working for Kieran and you know it's not lost on me what a privilege it is and and as Kieran touched on most of the staff are here and it's an amazing team effort and honestly Bunners of has performed a miracle with this horse and and you know it's it's yeah it's just uh, it's pretty surreal at the moment. Kieran you're surrounded by some of your nearest and dearest as well your brother Declan who's such an integral part of the team with the Ballarat operation and your mum here right now as well from tears I cry bringing you onto the scene Almost two decades ago, there's going to be plenty of tears flowing from here on in. Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine. Um, God, it's fantastic. To, you know, I think um, 
I think I said to Dad when I was about 12 that uh, we're going to go to New Zealand, and oh, he, he sort of had the idea too. We'll go to New Zealand by a New Zealand horse to win the cup. There's been a few hurdles, but uh, yeah, it's great to have everyone here and just such a special moment. You know, great clients, great friends, family, and um, and uh, all the team. Uh, they've all done a fantastic job. Dave, even though the horse has already spent the best part of 12 months in Australia, his European form pointed really strongly to him getting the two miles like he did today. Yeah, we were confident he'd get it. He didn't get a shot last year, and you know, I suppose it's sort of redemption for the horse as much as anything. He wasn't able to do it last year, and he's he showed that he's a, a top liner. And um, we were very, very worried that last hundred when Emissary was coming. I thought it was going to be the repeat of the Caulfield Cup, but. The horse really dug in, and Mark gave him the most beautiful ride. He waited and waited and waited, and the horse kicked at the right time, and thank God he did. What about high emotion, Kieran? Six days ago, wins the Bendigo Cup here and has run absolutely out of her skin for third. Yeah, it's fantastic, and great for T.O. as well. Um, really great crew of owners in that horse. Um, you know, we set a plan for her. We knew one of those races... You know, being the Bendigo Cup it ended, ended up being, would be a little bit wet. Uh, she ended up winning, sneaking away in. Tio ran fourth in this race for us last year, and now he's ran third for, this, for us this year. You know, he was our apprentice. He's a fully fledged rider and fantastic result. Can you believe what you two boys have just achieved, winning Australia's biggest race? Um, well, I can in a way that... They only ever wanted to win. Kieran said to me about two months ago, I didn't get in this business, Mum, to come second. I only got in this business to come first. So from then on, I knew that it would happen. Yeah, nice. Kieran Ma, David Eustace and Mum all chipping in. Uh, and you could only just wonder what's happening at this point in time, three-hour time difference there in Melbourne. It's just after 8 o'clock. They would have gone out to dinner, and the celebrations, I reckon, have only just started. If you've had a successful Melbourne Cup, well done. If it wasn't your day, there's always next year. But let me tell you, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and I'm just wondering how many people actually were at their place of employment after about 11 o'clock this morning. We'll update the cricket. Uh, we've got some ICC World Cup uh, T20 cricket being played at the Gabba between England and also New Zealand. Australia be hoping that uh, the Kiwis can overcome England, who with Australia in that group are battling for that semi-final spot. We'll bring you up to date in, in a moment, but England are doing fairly well. And Josh Butler at the moment is creaming the Kiwi bowlers. And also, speaking of bowlers... They've had the upper hand from ball one in the Sheffield Shield match at the Wacker. It could be all over by tomorrow. And I'll bring you up to date with what's happening down at the Wacker also on the other side of the break. Not forgetting, one of our regular segments now on Sports Day on a Tuesday is the Sports Vault. And it'll be a very interesting little segment when I speak to John Todd about the coaching merry-go-round in the early years of the West Coast Eagles. It's coming up 14 past five. Sports Day for Kia. Kia didn't just make an eight-seat family car, they made a grand utility vehicle. Kia Carnival GUV. And Toolmart, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA-owned and operated for over 40 years. 
Yes, great to have your company on the opening day of Sports Day. Peter Vlahos, your host. Great to have you along. And you can get involved on the Temper of Bedshed text machine, 0487 736 736. Or, I'm not sure we'll get too many on the Scarborough Toyota open line at 13 12 55. There might be a lot of people uh, that may not be able to string two or three words together at the moment if you've been celebrating the Melbourne Cup during the course of the afternoon. You know what I also thought today? If we had daylight saving, which is a real bugbear of many people, then the race would be run at one o'clock rather than midday. I think midday's too early for us. You just get there, you're settling in, the race is run, and then all of a sudden you've got the rest of the afternoon and it becomes just a party. I reckon it'd be nice to have a bit of a build-up maybe to the race like they have in the Eastern States at, say, one o'clock if daylight saving was part of the West Australian uh, landscape. But I'm not going to get into the political side of things. I was only thinking about the starting time. I think noon's a bit too early for West Australians. One might be a bit more accommodating. I'll tell you what's accommodating, not for Australia, in the ICC T20 World Cup, is the fact that England are certainly putting the heat on New Zealand. Now, Liam Livingston has just been dismissed, bowled by Ferguson for 20 and this update, thanks to tyre power, buy three and get one free on selected Falcon all-terrain tyres at your local local tyre power. Livingston went for 20, but it has been all Josh Butler, the skipper, the wicketkeeper, who's been brilliant. 73 not out at the moment of 47 balls. He's hit seven fours and two almighty sixes. He opened the innings with Alex Hales, who put on 52 himself with seven fours and a six. Moen Ali came in after Hales was dismissed. Uh, didn't last long, only made five. And then Livingston came to the crease and hit 20 of 14 balls, 1-4 one, and 1-6. One, so currently, England, with two overs to go, a three for 154. Three for 154. And the current run rate is 8.56. So if they go at, say, 10 or 12 runs for the final two overs... And there's just been another six just clobbered here by Brooke, who was the incoming batsman, Harry Brooke. Then all of a sudden, New Zealand could be looking at a total around 180, which will be a, a difficult one to get for New Zealand. England win this. That puts the acid on Australia. But Australia, as we know, will win that game against Afghanistan, you would think. In the Sheffield Shield match, it's been quite bizarre. Queensland were dismissed for 211. Today, WA were rolled for 115. And if it wasn't for Aaron Hardy, who made 44, Joel Paris, 26, and even Jai Richardson, 11 not out at the end of the batting lineup, then WA would have been in all sorts of bother. In fact, at one stage, they were 7 for 46. WA, 7 for 46. Then Joel Paris went with a score at 91, Aaron Hardy at 109, and Lance Morris, the last man out, when the score was 115. So they were in all sorts, 7 for 46. So in the second time at bat, Queensland are now 8 for 84, including three ducks in that total. Top score has been Matthew Renshaw. He was out for, in fact, correct that, Joe Burns top scores with 31. Matthew Renshaw made 26 and currently 8 for 84. So 
The equation is that Queensland lead WA by 180 runs with two wickets remaining. And this is only day two of this Sheffield Shield match at the WACA ground. So that brings you right up to date uh, with what is happening in cricket. Now, I knew I'd get a bit of feedback regarding the daylight saving. Pete, you want it? One hour later, move east. There you go. No one likes daylight saving here. Uh, just know I, if you can identify your name and, and where you are basically uh, texting from, it'd be much appreciated. No, I'm just throwing it up. You know, one o'clock Melbourne Cup would be nice, I reckon, here in Perth. Maybe they should push it back to four o'clock in Melbourne. All right, uh, it's 23 past five. We're going to go inside the vault next and speak to a man that was part of the early years at the West Coast Eagles from a coaching perspective. He's an Australian Football League Hall of Famer. John Todd was the sandwich. He was put in when Ron Alexander was ceremoniously dumped after one year with an 11-11 record from the West Coast Eagles coaching job. There was politics involved. They got Toddy in. And then he was ousted two years when they decided to go with Mick Moldhouse. We'll look at that period in West Coast Eagles history next as we go inside the WA Sports Vault here on Sports Day. Kia Carnival GUV and Toolmart, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. Yes, New Zealand have done well, actually, in the World Cup uh, T20 match at the Gabba in these last couple of overs. They were staring maybe at a uh, chasing a toe about 180, but they picked up a couple of wickets. Josh Butler fell for 73, brilliantly run out by Kane Williamson, and then uh, Harry Brook was out for seven. Ben Stokes and Sam Curran have come to the crease. We've just seen a six hit with uh, only one ball remaining. In fact, three balls remaining, and... It's now five for 172, five for 172. And of course, Ben Stokes just smashing the ball over long on into the crowd for six. Okay, we're going to do this every Tuesday, go into the WA Sporting Vault. Okay, we've opened the door. I've gone into the vault, and I thought, as we kick off Sports Day here on SENWA Drive, is to look at uh, the early years of the West Coast Eagles. And it was interesting that in the fact that in four years, the first four years of the West Coast, they had three coaches. As we know, Ron Alexander was the inaugural coach of West Coast in 1987. He was then replaced by AFL Football Hall of Famer and one of the legends of the game here in this country, John Todd, in 88 and 89. And then all of a sudden, in 1990, it was Mick Moldhouse who took over the reins, uh, the Victorian, looking at uh, the coaching aspirations at the West Coast Eagles. It was a pretty traumatic period, both on and off the field. And I thought in our vault segment here on this Tuesday, we relive those early days in the coaching stakes of the Eagles. And joining us is John Todd on the program. Hi, John. How are you, Peter? Is there any money in the vault? <laughs> <laughs> How did you go in the Melbourne Cup today? Uh, no, I uh, I didn't. Well, I didn't have a bet. I just watched the uh, the race. But 
Oh, look, it uh, stops a nation. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a great great race and, um, you know, uh, a worthy winner. Always a worthy winner, Peter. John, let's have a look at that period, as I mentioned. I thought I'd focus on the West Coast Eagles in those early years. Firstly, uh, those early years were pretty traumatic for West Coast off the field, weren't they? At one stage, the club looked being on its knees and possibly not even continuing because of the financial state of affairs. Yeah, that's very true, Pete. And uh, look, it hadn't been for the waffle to hand up their licence to make it possible for the West Coast Eagles to join the AFL. Um, and look, there was a lot of promises that w- was toing and froing in that period. They put a, a team together, a squad together very, very quickly. And uh, I think they allowed us to have 32 players, which was, wasn't a lot. Uh, so, yeah, and Ron had the first year, and look, what he went through was it followed on to me the following year. Then when Mick arrived, he got all the pleasures of going to Subiaco Oval, all the comforts and and uh, being a football club. But those first three years, were, we were gypsies. We were all over the place. We we never had a home, really. Mm. So... Uh, but still, I think it's a good character building for a lot of the players and uh, it always helps sometimes to suffer a little bit before you achieve a bit. John, did you feel, even though you took over from Ron Alexander, he was hard done by to maybe lose the job after only one year? To be quite frank, I, I uh, was very surprised because... Um, I was appointed coach, in, I was going to South Australia to coach, and I'd already uh, made a commitment to go to South Australia, and then at the 11th hour, I got a call from the West Coast Eagles that they wanted to have a chat to me, so naturally I went and had a chat. Uh, the only thing that disappointed me with the Eagles initially, Peter, was that I didn't get an interview, um, and that, and I was a bit disappointed about that because my record prior to that coming into the Eagles, the formation of the Eagles was, you know, okay, better than okay, let's put it that way. So uh, anyhow, they uh, rang me at the 11th hour and I'm not sure what transpired, I have no idea. Um, I know that Ron was replaced by myself and uh, and so... uh, Life went on after mm. that, unfortunately. Saying that, as you said, uh, when you look at it, maybe John Todd should have been the inaugural coach of the West Coast Eagles, of course, of what you achieved at waffle level with South Fremantle as a coach, East Fremantle, Swan Districts. Uh, it was just impeccable. It really was. Saying that, when you were due to fly to Adelaide to sign with the South Australian National Football League Club, Woodville, was it because of the offer or you had a gut full with what was happening here in WA because you missed out on that job in 1987, thought you'd try your luck somewhere else? Well, we've, we've never been a professional state. I've always said that, Pete. You know, I think we can do better. And uh, and unfortunately, you know, I, I felt it was a slap on the face you know, not being able to uh, have an interview at least uh, after all the service that I'd given Western Australia and I'd have achieved... You know, I was all Australian coach in '83 and '84, and uh, won premierships, and so 
you know, and I just got a little bit uh, annoyed about um, how the West Coast Eagles handle that. Um, I don't. I'm not even sure whether they put an application in for the coaching job. I'm, I have no idea. But uh, anyhow, I think Ron was the favourite in the end because this is what happens, and people don't think beyond. Uh, so, sometimes they just don't think about what happened prior and what's going to happen in the future. But Ron was captain of Fremantle that last year, going into the. Uh, an organisation of the AFL, so that probably put him in the running to be the mm. the inaugural coach, I would imagine. So that's all I can say about that. Who gave you the call, Toddy, before you were due to fly to Adelaide to say we need to catch up? Where did the call come from? Uh, it came from the commission, mate. From the commission. From the commission. Anyone in particular? Well, getting back. Uh, <laughs> It was a corporate body at the moment, at that time, Pete. You know, it was, the Eagles were run, run by corporate people. And Bill Kerr, I think, was the person who rang me. I'm not sure. I'm not 100% sure about that. But um, I think Bill Walker might have had a little bit to do with it mm-hmm. as well, that he was pretty annoyed about what I just stated, about not getting an interview. And uh, so... Uh, so I think he may have had a little bit to do about at least getting an interview uh, at the eleventh hour. So yeah, it all, look, it was all a bit up and down, mate. Mm. Not a lot of thought that went into it initially, but uh, well, Toddy, I know you're a man of your word, and certainly you believed in fair play. You always played that way, and you coached that way. But in your first senior coach or first senior year as coach of West Coast. You took him into the finals in 1988 and you lost the elimination final to Melbourne by two points. Was that an overachievement or do you think they were primed to play finals in their second year in then the VFL competition? Uh, You don't overachieve, Pete. Uh, When you achieve something, you know, uh, they... uh, Look, we had a... We back then it was the top five, mate. You know, mm. it was only top five, so we finished fourth. And uh, and if you can keep a squad together, which we did that year that I had them, there wasn't very few injuries, and we couldn't afford to have them anyhow because we only had 32 players. So they were out there each week, and um, they developed a a, a bond that was uh, they were prepared to put their to do the hard work and they did a lot of hard work when we were travelling around like our our property man was out of the back of a, a van mate mm. like he'd pull up and we'd get all our Guernseys and so forth out the back of a van they'd pull out the uh, rub down tables in the open air and uh, and we uh, we were trained at ovals that were just not suitable really but we had to try and you know, bring a group of guys together that were from all other uh, WA clubs, which was in a matter of a short period of time. Mm. And that, if people can understand how difficult that was, because they'd all rock up in their cars, get out in their car, train, hop back in their car and go home. And you had to break down that sort of... uh, uh, mentality of uh, still being waffle players. They were AFL players, and they had to all start to realise that they were. And there was, so yeah, that was difficult. But 
one thing I learned about that, Pete, was that the Victorians are no better than us. Yeah. Interesting, the second year, uh, you finished 11th on the ladder, only managed seven wins, 15 losses, and you missed out on the finals. Uh, how did you surmise that year? Because all of a sudden then... Uh, People were questioning whether maybe John Todd was the man to take the Eagles uh, forward. How did you handle that period where it was pretty difficult, but not too dissimilar with, I know what you did with Swan Districts when you went to Swan District under John Cooper, who was the president then, and uh, the club was going nowhere. And in the end, you're given a bit of time. And of course, in the early 80s, the rest is history. Premiership, premiership, premiership. Yeah, sure. Uh, Look... Once again, it was um, we didn't have a lot of players, as I said, on our list, and we were struck down by injuries. Laurie Keane broke down, uh, Phil Scott broke down, Johnny Worsfold had a, a problem, uh, and it was so we were battling, you know, really to field a team consistently each week, and. Uh, so we we did struggle for that reason. Like if you can put your when you think thirty two players to try and get you through a year, it's pretty difficult. Right. So what what and look, we had to um, you know do something about that, Pete. It was like our squad really wasn't going to carry us too far anyhow. They were trying. They were. You know, Ross Green Denning retired that year, and uh, so what actually happened, we had to rethink about how we're going to go about building West Coast Eagles. And I know they came to me and had grand ideas about going to get a name player and whatever. They had no money anyhow, but they were going to go out and, you know, get the signature of a top player, which doesn't work. And, and I did make a suggestion to, to them that to build up our squad, why don't we just put all the players that are still registered AFL players onto our list for one year, and at the end of the year we delist them and go into the draft. And uh, and so we picked up guys like Browning and Ellis and uh, Higgins and... Um, many others that were still uh, young Barry Cables, young Blake, mm. um, and Geary. All these players had played AFL football. They were still on the list, but it was going to cost the West Coast Eagles nothing. They all had accommodation. They all had jobs. It was just a matter of they were going to be sleepers on our list so uh, we could get through and then go into the draft the following year. Um but what actually happened was we had so many injuries, we had to call on these players that were there as sleepers, mm. sleepers only, and people mm. just couldn't understand what we were doing. And, and so, uh, once again, uh, people just uh, formulated an opinion about uh, the team, like, as it's just been happening of late with the West Coast Eagles, you know, you, you run into a few problems and it's hard to overcome those problems because of lack of um, personnel. Yeah. So, Toddy, but, when, uh, when did you realise, when did you realise that maybe you weren't going to be coaching the following year in 1990? Did you get uh, an indication or were you caught blindsided when they decided to dispense with oh, yourself I, and I go think, with Mouldhouse? No, I, I think the writing was on the wall, but, uh, you know, my 
policy has always been, um, you know, sit down with the individual, lay your cards on the table. If you're changing direction, that's fine. Uh, but corporate people don't operate that way. They go behind the scenes a little bit, as the West Coast Eagles did. And I think Malcolm Brown rang me. He said, I think you're in trouble, he said, because they're interviewing Mick Malthouse. And I said, oh, well, you know. Uh, so that was the first uh, inkling of something was going to happen. Mm. And uh, as it turned out, you know, uh, Mick was appointed. I read that in the, in the Western Australian. So you read it in the uh, West nothing. Australian that Mick was being appointed. You hadn't been told officially. Yeah, no, no one came to me and told me officially. They just uh, what a disgrace. I read it in the, on Monday's paper that Mick Mulders had been appointed coach of the West Coast. Eagles. So what did you do then? Did you make the call? Did you front somebody saying, "What's this all about"? Well, I had the media chasing me all over the place for interviews, which I thought this was going to get out of control. So I just uh, backed off and. I had the media sort of camp outside my house, mate, you know, mm. and uh, it was was just, as I said to them, I have no money, I don't owe you any money, I haven't murdered anybody, and you'd think that, uh, you know, uh, the way they went about it was a bit over the top, but uh, anyhow, uh, that's how it happened, and I was pretty annoyed about that. Naturally, so John, when you finally had a chance to speak to somebody about the way this was handled, and from your reports, it was handled appallingly. Who did you speak yeah. to and vent your frustration and disappointment on the way it came out? Who did you speak to? Um, I, it would have been Bill Kerr, I think, because yeah. he was uh, he was the man in charge. But uh, anyhow. Uh, the message was out well and truly before I had a chance to speak to them or them to speak to me. And the way they went about it was that it, they had a leak, but there's always a leak when there, and there's always an excuse, Pete. Yeah. Uh, mm. Instead of dealing with the people that should be dealt with. And, and it, look, it still goes on today. I mean, to say, it's, it's a real sad situation in the coaching ranks like, Ratton's just copped it mm. just recently. And you can go back through time, and there's a lot of coaches that uh, they're like, they just don't get called in and sat down as human beings and saying, you know, we're going to change direction for these reasons. And the coach would accept that um, if things weren't going the way it should have been. Toddy, uh, just why, yeah, go on. That... That, well, that hasn't been rectified since the year dot, mate. Yeah, exactly. Can I, just before we let you go, I'm going to change tack completely, and it's been really great to have a chat to you regarding that period. Uh, John of High Wickham has yes. sent us a message on the temperate bedshed text machine. says, ask John, how was Kevin Taylor like to coach? <laughs> <laughs> look, he was... Uh, look, I, I only had him for a short period of time, and... Uh, as it turned out, uh, Jared Neesham wanted to go to East Fremantle and Kevin Taylor, we thought, was an equal swap. East Fremantle ended up in front, mate. Fair enough. 
Toddy, I love talking to you. Thanks for spending uh, our time. You're the, my very first segment here on the Sporting Vault. Uh, looking back at that period in the early years, became uh, a bit of a coaching uh, circus in some ways. Three coaches in four years at the West Coast Eagles. Stay well, Toddy, and I'll keep in touch. Thanks yep. for your time. Good on you, Pete. Take Good care. On you. John Todd joining us. Uh, there you go. Found out in the paper that he'd lost his job to Mick Malthouse. I'll bring you up to date with the cricket. Uh, New Zealand are about to bat. They got to go at nine runs per over, and England made six for 179. This is Sports Day with Peter Vlahos. Sports Day for Kia. Kia didn't just make an eight-seat family car. They made a grand utility vehicle. Kia Carnival GUV. And Toolmart, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA-owned and operated for over 40 years. Thanks for joining us for the first Sports Day program here on SENWA, wherever you may be listening, of course, on SEN 657, SEN Spirit 621 in Bunbury and through the southwest. And the gold fields where Norman, the, all the others are, and uh, SEN 1611 digital radio at SEN Peel, or as I mentioned, on the SEN app, the SENWA app. Thanks for your time. England and the cricket, they made 679 off uh, 20 overs. And New Zealand currently are no wicket for three from four balls. But a bit of drama at the Wacker, just across the Matagarra Bridge here, from where we broadcast at Optus Stadium. Queensland in their second inning has been rolled for 97, which is incredible. And you look at the bowling performance, Lance Morris, 8.3 overs, one maiden, four for 26. Three wickets to Joel Paris and a couple to Jai Richardson. Aaron Hardy picked up one as well. So all out for 97. So WA now need 194 runs to win. They're about to go into bat. There'll only be a couple of possible overs remaining. And I think they may have lost a wicket already. Yes, Bancroft is out. Caught by Jimmy Pearson of Michael Nisa. And he's out for no score. So... Western Australia are one for none, chasing 194. Just recapping, West Australia, in reply to Queensland's first inning total of 211, only made 115. And at one stage, were in big trouble at seven for 46. They were six for 29, seven for 46. But some rearguard batting from all-rounder Aaron Hardy, who comes in at number eight, made 44. Joel Paris, who comes in at number nine, made 26. And Jai Richardson at number 10, made 11, not out. And they got the total up to 115. All right. Uh, they've sent the night watchman in, Corey Roccaccioli. Now, he was brought in also in the first innings when they lost that early wicket as the night watchman. So uh, there you go. So WA are one for none. Uh, just repeating, Cameron Bancroft out, caught by Jimmy Pearson, off Nisa, final ball of the first over. Whiteman and Corey Roccaccioli now at the crease. So uh, WA, just repeating, need 193 runs to win tomorrow, and we're about to just head to Stumps on day two. By the way, the Perth Wildcats are in action against the Tasmanian Jack Jumpers at RAC Arena on Thursday night. You can get behind the Wildcats this season. They need your support now, don't they? Head to tickertech.com.au. John Relly, no doubt the new coach of the Perth Wildcats, is fuming about the inconsistency that his side is displaying after they were well beaten by Melbourne United last night. 
addressed this after the last game. Like uh, we have great patches. Like we come out in the third quarter, motivated, together, connected, uh, and we were very disruptive. Um, you know, we we need to evolve and have greater stretches of that. Um, you know, so that that's. Our, our offense is generated from our defense, and we haven't been able to do that over the last couple of games. Yes, certainly in a bit of trouble, uh, the Perth Wildcats. As I mentioned, their next game, and such an important game before they go and take on Adelaide uh, at the weekend against the Tasmanian Jack Jumpers on Thursday, and you can hear it here on SENWA. Hope you've had a great Melbourne Cup day. I've certainly enjoyed bringing you the very first sports day here on SEN. We'll do it again tomorrow. We'll have another interesting segment. Thanks to John Todd, my first guest in the vault segment that we'll have every Tuesday when we look in at some significant aspect of WA sporting history. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, Jimmy. New Zealand, by the way, after 1.3 overs, a no wicket for seven. Their target, 180 at the Gabba. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.